Again, this is Daring Dialogues. If you're with me for the first time, this is Monday Motivation. Again, I am your host, Shante Charles. We are live streaming via uh, YouTube as well as IG. So if you're on YouTube, you can find me on IG at Daring Dialogues. If you're on IG, you can find me on YouTube at Church Love 333. That's our YouTube page. And if you're listening by anchor.fm forward slash Daring, Di- Di- Daring Dialogues, you have now both of those uh, live streaming capabilities. So you can see me visually as well as hear me. So tonight we're going to hop back into Jackie Robinson. I never had it made. It is Monday Motivation and Jackie has been giving us the business. <laughs> He has been giving us the business and we are in chapter seven and we're going to start reading his take on the price of popularity, which is so appropriate because I have been thinking about this into the weekend and to see it as the chapter that we're reading tonight uh, will probably tie into some things I want to say. So I'm going to jump right into the reading I've got about 10 minutes. We're about five minutes in now. So I've got about 10 minutes that I'm going to be reading straight through and try to come to a good stopping place. The price of popularity. To our great joy, we had another addition to the family in 1950. Sharon Robinson was born on January 13th in Flower Fifth Avenue Hospital in New York. We had finally bought our own home in the St. Albans section of Long Island. There were some modestly priced, good-looking homes in our immediate neighborhood, homes that were mainly white-owned. Located in the neighborhood were the Roy Campanellas, Count Basie and his wife, Catherine Herbert Mills of the Mills Brothers, and others from the entertainment world and field of education. A movie, The Jackie Robinson Story, was to be filmed that year. The producers wanted to make it before spring training, but I had been holding them up until the birth of my daughter. When Sharon was born, I planned to take Jackie out to Hollywood with me while Rachel stayed home with the baby and my mother, who had come east to help us during the last stages of Ray's pregnancy. Two weeks after I'd been on the set in my unaccustomed role of actor, I confessed to Rachel that not only Did I miss her a lot, but I wanted to see Sharon, and I'd probably learn my script much faster if she came out to join me. When Sharon was just three weeks old, she was en route to Hollywood with her mother. Ray said that our daily life during those few weeks when they rushed to put the picture together in record time reminded her of my first baseball days. There was a lot of difference, though. Every morning, a limousine came to pick up the four of us, and we would all spend the day on the lot. Ruby D, who played the role of Rachel in the picture, paid a lot of attention to our baby. Jackie had spent a lot of his infant hours on the knees of baseball players, and little Sharon was getting the same kind of treatment from movie stars. That same old Jackie Robinson story is still turning up here and there on television. It was exciting to participate in it, but later I realized it had been made too quickly, that it was budgeted too low, and that if it had been made later in my career, it would have been done much better. I left Rachel and the children with her mother and went on to spring training. 
Often during that spring training season, I thought about how much fun it had been when Ray and I had Jackie with us during spring training at Vero Beach. He loved that place. He had his own ball then and would play out on the field every day, running back and forth to Ray to get his ration of freshly squeezed orange juice. Baseball players and some of the fans gave him a lot of attention, and at times he was surprisingly responsive. One day, unknown to Ray and me, he got out on the field and started hamming it up. It was during an exhibition game warm-up and people were throwing money at, money at him from the stands. He was happily giving his fans autographs and before I realized what was going on, he had collected quite a little hoard of change for himself. Watching little Jackie being so outgoing delighted Ray and me, but at the same time it gave us a sober awareness of the serious problem he would have in asserting himself as an individual. We had heard and read about the conflicts children face whose parents live in the spotlight. We became more aware of the problem each day as Jackie grew older. There were any number of well-intentioned people who inflict problems on the kids of famous fathers. Jackie became a victim of these problems when he was still a very small boy. Almost as soon as he could say his name, people would come up with brilliant statements such as, Oh, so you're little Jackie Robinson, huh? You think you'll ever be as famous as your father? Or, oh, are you going to be a ball player too? You know we'll never be able to do what your daddy has done. There were dozens of approaches, all meant to be teasing or affectionate, and all chipping away at this little boy's self-esteem. They also convinced him that probably he and I were or should be in some sort of competition. He was a loving and lovable youngster and sunny in disposition. There was very seldom any outward sign that this kind of thing bothered him. But it did. And we knew it did. We knew that when he was very young, he began to feel exploited. To sense that perhaps people were making much of him, not because of himself, but because he was my son. I recall one instance when his resentment showed. Jackie was about three and we were living in Brooklyn. Life magazine was doing a cover piece on the Robinson family. The cover picture was supposed to show Ray and myself sitting on the stoop with Jackie riding around in front of us on his bicycle. Something in Jackie's little boy psyche told him that he should refuse to pose. Nothing was going to change his mind and of course we were not about to tell him he must pose. The picture came out with Ray and me sitting on the step and Jackie on his tricycle with his back to the camera. It was then that Ray decided there had been too much pressure on him and that we would declare a moratorium on any picture taking of Jackie until and unless he wanted it. Shortly after that, he went through an exhibitionist stage and we couldn't keep him out of things when the photographers were around. Jackie certainly seemed to be proud of me, but he had an interesting problem when he was first attending school. We think he was a bit confused as to why I spent my time playing ball and being away from home instead of having a normal job like those of his classmates' fathers who were policemen, teachers, businessmen. Playing ball didn't seem too much like an occupation to him, and his teachers reported that he seldom spoke about what I did for a living. He must have been confused also about the kinds of places where we lived as a family. When he and his mother were with me during spring training, 
he lived in a rigidly segregated atmosphere. He hardly ever saw a white person then. Later, when we moved to Stanford, Connecticut, we lived in a totally white neighborhood. When Jackie was growing up, Ray and I mistakenly tried to shield him from knowledge of racial prejudice. Later, when his sister Sharon and his brother David came along, the subject of racial differences was all over television and we discussed it openly as a family. There was an episode in Vero Beach in 1949 that was symbolic of the kind of ordeal Rachel and little Jackie had to face, mainly in Southern communities. I don't think Jackie was old enough to really understand how ugly and bigoted it was, but youngsters are peculiarly attuned to the stress of parents, particularly when they are as close as Rachel and Jackie were. Some of the annoyances Rachel had to put up with may seem petty, but they were terribly difficult for a proud black woman. In the Vero Beach days, black women had their hair done in a black beauty shop in a black neighborhood. Since Ray didn't know the town well, and we were almost strangers in the town, she needed a taxi cab because she didn't want to take the chance of getting lost through public transportation. One day with Jackie, Ray set out for the beauty shop. She saw a taxi stop a few feet away from her and discharge a passenger. She walked over to the cab only to be informed that it was a white cab. The driver gave her a telephone number to call to get a colored cab. Ray and Jackie sat on the lawn in front of the main building waiting for the colored cab. After a while, along came a huge bus that was empty except for a black driver. It was dilapidated and had broken windows. As soon as she realized this was the colored cab, Ray got on the bus. Jackie scrambled along after her, thinking he was about to embark on an adventure. The bus circled and passed the swimming pool where all the other baseball wives and their children were relaxing. They all stared. Rachel, of course, felt humiliated. Jackie, happily innocent, was waving goodbye to the white children and their mothers. The bus let them off at a little shack somewhere in the vicinity of the beauty shop. Rachel was so furious that she vowed they would not take that bus back. There was no place to eat in the vicinity, and when they started back, they set out down a long, dusty road. Suddenly, Rachel looked down at our son, puffing along, tired, hungry, probably puzzled, but not complaining. She realized that she was giving vent to her hurt and pride, and that little Jackie was suffering for it. She stopped, waited, and in due time, along came the colored cab bus bringing back the black workers from the village to do the evening meal for the baseball players and their families. Rachel was still pretty angry and she had to find some way to express herself, so she simply did not put any fare in the box. We were living on an army base then. It was like being confined to a reservation and it was the only reason we were quartered along with the whites. That too was difficult for Ray. Her relationship with the other wives were tense and uncomfortable for her and for them. She didn't know how to relate to them and they quite clearly did not know how to relate to her. Certainly Jackie absorbed some of these tensions and later on we felt it had affected him. Man, there is so much to just unpack even in that uh, excerpt of the reading tonight. Um, but the chapter is called The Price of Popularity. And I wrote something last night on my page um, that came from my time with the Lord. 
And he was kind of sharing with me that a lot of times um, when people have these desires to be famous or they have these desires um, to want to use their notoriety or their wealth to basically take care of the people around them or to take care of the community around them, that they also have to be prepared for a couple of things. And one of those things is the fact that uh, many times when when people are eating off of you, when they're depending on you for all of their livelihood, when they're depending on how much money you make or how much money you bring in, um, sometimes they're not necessarily worried about your personal care. They may not be worried about your mental health and your self-care or your soul care. So you have to put things in place in your life, you have to structure your life so that you are making sure that you take care of yourself, that you're putting on your oxygen to live before you go put oxygen on everybody else. Um, the second thing is because they may be relying upon you so much for their own safety, their own ability to have in this world, Again, they're not really paying attention to you because they're kind of focused on what it is that you are bringing to them and not necessarily looking at how can I contribute to you or how can I take some of the load off of you. And so that led me to thinking about the fact that a lot of times when we tell people to prepare, right, we hear all of these positive messages about you're getting ready to be blessed, get ready, get ready, get ready. Um, get ready to prosper, get ready to do all these things. But the other piece that we need to be telling people to prepare for is to prepare for your own self-care. <laughs> we also need to be telling people to um, put in safeguards so that you do not fall into self-abuse. Because a lot of times when people are coming into wealth or they're coming into a place where they're providing for the entire family, like Jackie was in his case, right? There, there comes a place where you can actually fall into self-abusive behaviors or self-medicating behaviors, trying to deal with the pressures that come with your newfound status. And so I wrote, Last night, you know, that a lot of times we tell people to prepare for prosperity, but we fail to tell them also that they need to prepare for the pressures that come with a prosperous life. Yeah. And then in Jackie Robinson's case, as he said, um, a lot of people don't necessarily factor into how their change in status and how their popularity and how their fame can begin to affect their children, right? He he goes into detail about these false expectations that were now placed upon his son to the point where by the time he was three years old, he was very clear <laughs> that there were expectations of him to be like his dad. And that was at three years old. And like Jackie Robinson said, Sometimes people think that they're being encouraging or they're being funny or they're being cute by insinuating certain things, right? To take a child down the same path as their parent, but it can actually put a false 
expectation on that child and build a sort of not just peer pressure, but community pressure for that child to be like that parent, especially if that parent is well known like Jackie Robinson was for sports or it could be for music or whatever. Right. We see sort of examples in of that in our culture where certain people are are kind of grooming their children to go into singing or go into acting or, you know, go into music, go into dance, whatever it is, because they may be good at it. So I saw that kind of as, you know, a warning that as a parent, especially there, there is a price for popularity. Then he also brought out a very, very good point about his son and how his son was being shaped by these different environments. A lot of times people think, well, you know, a child will come, will turn out okay if they are, they have a good family upbringing, but it's not just the parents that affect the child's upbringing. It's the environment in which that child is also brought up into. So those, those things kind of stood out to me. Um, and the last thing when I thought about this with the whole baseball and the racism that they faced and people's ability to steer a child in a direction, either positively or negatively, a friend of mine this past weekend had an incident um, where she had taken her, her child to a baseball game. It was a school baseball game. And at this baseball game, there was a white child going around his parents had let him bring a badge, a play gun, and a police cap to the baseball game. And he was walking around the baseball game, the seven-year-old boy, walking around the baseball game, attempting to arrest black children, children his age and older. And he was approaching the children and he was saying, Things like, I'm going to murder you. I'm the police. So my friend (laughs) had to intervene, went to the child, went to the child's mother, you know, told the child that what they were doing was inappropriate. The mother, rather than correcting her child, got upset with my friend and went to the child's father, which happened to be one of the coaches for the baseball game. Went and complained to the husband, said that she was being harassed and the child was being harassed and they were told to sit down. Nevertheless, my friend stood her ground and said, you know, this is inappropriate. Why do you, why is your child out here doing this? You know, this is, this is not appropriate behavior. And so I thought again about the importance of parental example Because you can't tell me that a seven-year-old just out of the blue was only walking around arresting black boys and telling the black children that he was going to murder them because he was the police. You cannot tell me that that came from television. There's a song by South South Pacific. Go look it up. It's called You Have to Be Carefully Taught. And it talks about and it references that you have to get children at an early age to hate all the people their parents hate. 
And so this past weekend for her, that was like a just in your face example of the ways in which parental influence and environment can can affect a child. So what can I take away from this today? My my Monday motivation is to make sure that I understand the price of popularity to also um, be mindful of the influence that I myself can have on the children that are around me, that I'm leading, that I'm teaching my God children, um, being more aware and in tune and intentional about asking them about what is happening in their life, how they feel about things that's happening in their life and what's going on with them. So that's what I wanted to share tonight. Um, if you want to jump on real quick, I would say we've got probably got about uh, 10 minutes here. So if you want to jump on and respond to tonight's reading or anything I've said, if you're on IG, you can hit the camera and we will bring you on. If you're on Anchor, I want to thank you for your time and attention tonight. This has been another episode of Daring Dialogues, and I've been your host tonight, Shante Charles. This has been our Monday Motivation. I encourage you to get the book, Jackie Robinson, I Never Had It Made. Take care, and until tomorrow, see you there.